Well, good morning, New Day. It's so good to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming out. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in online. However you're joining us today, I'm just really glad that you're here. If you're new right now as a church, uh, we're studying through the Gospel of Matthew, but uh, as you can see, today is T-Shirt Sunday, and uh, for T-Shirt Sunday, we're doing a little something different. We're deviating from our series, and instead of sharing on the next section of Matthew's Gospel, today I'm doing a standalone message from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, that I've entitled, Two Are Better Than One. And of course, we're doing this because signups today begin for our fall semester of small groups. That's why we're doing something a little bit different today. But again, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I've entitled my sermon, Two Are Better Than One. Friends, the reality is that God has created us for community. And his intention is that when the bad times of life come, when you or a loved one, heaven forbid, gets a bad report from the doctor, when you find out that your spouse tragically has been unfaithful to you, when you go through a miscarriage or a divorce or maybe you lose your employment, when you go through the difficult seasons of life, God's intention is that your Christian community would be there for you. Throughout the New Testament, listen to just some of the 28 one another's found in the New Testament. We read, we're to love one another, have concern for one another, carry each other's burdens, serve one another in love, instruct one another, be devoted to one another, be kind and compassionate towards one another, uh, be uh, encouraging to one another, we're to build each other up, we're to spur uh, one another on towards love and good deeds, and we're to pray for each other. And again, there's 28 in total. I just gave you a handful. Now, when you have this kind of support system in place, you won't be surprised to hear that though it's difficult, whatever it is that you're going through, time and time again, you'll find the strength to get through what you're going through. I mean, let's just think about it. You go through some difficult time, but you have others to love on you through the difficult time. You have others showing concern for you. You have others who come beside you and they begin helping you to carry your burden. They serve you in love. They give you godly counsel. Uh, they're devoted to you. They're kind towards you. They're compassionate towards you. They encourage you. They make it their life's mission to build you up. And they pray for you every day. Are you even surprised that when you're going through something tough, but you're treated in this way, you find the strength time and again to get through what you're going through? But friends, unfortunately, the opposite is also true. When you don't have this, you end up going through whatever you're going through alone. And how many of you understand that the only thing worse than going through a bad time is going through it alone? A precious woman stopped me after first service and said, I wish I heard this just a little while back when I lost my husband. Friends, the only thing worse than going through a tough time is going through a tough time alone. 
Oh, you think it's bad to go through a divorce? Try going through it alone. You think it's bad to have a miscarriage? Try having a miscarriage and being all alone and not having any support. You think it's bad when your spouse is unfaithful to you? Well, go through that without any encouragement or support or prayer. Friends, it is not a good thing when you don't have the support that you need. Well, God never intended us to walk through the difficult seasons of life alone. God's intention is that we as followers of Jesus would have a community of other believers to support us and encourage us and counsel us along the way. So many people have isolated because of the pandemic But even though now the pandemic is over, many people are still acting as if it's still, you know, alive and well, the same as it used to be. And they're still living in isolation. And friends, this is not healthy, as you're going to see clearly uh, as we go through the sermon. It is time to enter back into community. So today we're going to study through Ecclesiastes 4, verses 7 through 12, a passage that just really highlights the benefit of being in community. And my hope and my prayer is that at the end of the sermon, you will sign up for one of our many different fall semester small groups that we're offering. So let's get into it. The book of Ecclesiastes... It was written by a man named Solomon, who was the wisest man ever to have lived apart from Christ. The book of Ecclesiastes is classified as wisdom literature, which means it's a book that's intended to help us to live a wise and prudent life. And where we pick up in chapter 4, Solomon aims to show us the wisdom, to show us the prudence of choosing community over isolation. So that's what our text is all about, the the wisdom of choosing community over isolation. All right, let's get started in verses 7 through 8. Solomon writes, Then I returned, and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? And he says, this also is a vanity and a grave misfortune. Solomon here is describing a very, very sad situation. If you're taking notes, this is a sad story of a man who is rich materially, but is poor relationally. He's a workaholic. Solomon says there's no end to his labors. So in other words, he is the typical American living 3,000 years ago. As he's pursued happiness and the things that money can buy, he hasn't prioritized relationships. So he has, Solomon says, he has neither son nor brother, meaning he doesn't have any meaningful relationships in his life. But his riches have not made him happy. Solomon says his eye is not satisfied with his riches. He's found riches without meaningful relationships to be a very empty way of life. So Solomon just sees this man, he sees the situation that he's in, and he just says, oh, what a grave misfortune. 
Which, of course, implies that the man could have chosen a different path, but didn't. And Solomon says, what a grave misfortune. Now, we have to remember that Solomon was king over the nation of Israel. And he saw what was going on with this one individual, this one citizen within his kingdom. And not wanting any other citizen in his kingdom to repeat this one individual's folly, Solomon wrote the following for the benefit of the rest of the nation. He says, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. If you're taking notes today, this short passage, it deals with one subject, and it's the value of companions. The value of companions. Solomon begins with a general truth, which is stated in verse 9. Let's look at it again. Here's the general truth that the rest of his sermon uh, relates to and is built on. Solomon says, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. What he's saying is that there's advantages in having the support of other people as we face life. And now, having stated the general truth that two are better than one, he now gives three different illustrations that prove his point. First illustration is in verse 10. Second illustration is in verse 11. Third illustration is in verse 12. But all three uh, are there to support his thesis, if you will. His hypothesis that two are better than one. And today we're going to look at each of these three illustrations so that hopefully we can see the same thing that Solomon saw. So here we go. The first illustration comes from verse 10. Solomon says two are better than one for, meaning because, if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Anytime I read this verse, I can't help but think of a book I read a few years back called 127 Hours by Aaron Ralston. If you don't know the story, back in 2003, he went hiking in Utah's National Park, and while climbing through a slot canyon, he slipped and fell, knocking over a boulder that ended up pinning his uh, hand and his wrist to the wall, and he could not escape. He called out, of course, but he found himself uh, wholly alone. Since he was alone, he stayed trapped for six days. He was on the brink of starvation. He was on the brink of dehydration. And what he did is he broke the two bones in his forearm so that he could cut through his own flesh with the dull blade of his multi-tool. Let's go back to verse 10 real quick. Two are better than one, Solomon says, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Now, even though Solomon's illustration can be taken literally, we need to understand that it can also be taken figuratively. 
Just as helpful as having someone there for you when you fall literally is having someone there for you when you fall into trouble or fall into hard times. When you fall into any distress of the body or or the mind or the soul. For example, a few years back, I had a childhood friend who lost her husband. It was tragic. It was completely unexpected. And it would have been even more devastating than it was had she not had family and friends and her church family surrounding her as the honeybees are surrounding our donuts outside this morning, just surrounding her with love and support and encouragement and prayers. They work together to figuratively lift her up after she had fallen. And this is exactly what Solomon's getting at. Two are better than one because whether you fall literally or figuratively, when you have other people in your life that love you and care for you, they can help you to get back up. So that is the first of Solomon's three illustrations. Here now is the second. Solomon's first illustration came from verse 10 and his second comes from verse 11. Solomon writes again. In other words, he's saying, here's another example of how two are better than one. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Now, this is something we can't really relate to because when we travel, we just get a hotel or an Airbnb or a Verbo and, you know, it's all climate controlled. And if we're cold, we turn on the heat. If we're hot, you know, we turn on the air. And, and, but but 3,000 years ago when this was written, everyone was nodding in agreement. Go, oh yeah, I know, I get it. How can anyone lie down by themselves and stay warm? So what we have here is a picture that was very common in Solomon's day. You had a citizen of the nation of Israel traveling from one part of the nation to another. Now, maybe they were way up high in the north and they had to go for the annual Passover feast in Jerusalem, which was way down in the south. And they would have to spend several nights uh, just out in the cold uh, desert, you know, as they traveled from the north to the south part of the country. And you better believe that all the families, they would go ahead and snuggle together. And you know what they were doing? They were looking for a big guy like me who puts out 60,000 BTUs of heat. I would have been really popular back in Solomon's day. (laughs) And this is how they would stay warm. But you know what? If you don't have another companion, how can you stay warm? This makes me think of a book I I read, uh, another book I read a few years back called Forged in Crisis by Nancy Cohen. And one of the four characters that she highlighted in her book was uh, the former slave Frederick Douglass. And she retells his experience growing up as a slave. He was poorly clothed. His master gave him two coarse shirts per year, and he had to wear them year-round, and winter was particularly hard for him. The great difficulty, Douglas recalled, was keeping warm during the nights. The pigs in the pen had leaves, and the horses in the stable had straw, but the slave children had no beds and no blankets. And it was so cold on certain nights that Douglas's feet would become cracked from the frost. Talk about cruel. Talk about cruel. He would climb into an empty sack of corn so that he could use it as a makeshift sleeping bag, but he recalls that it did little to help. He says it was no substitute for the warmth that another person could have provided. 
Back to our text, verse 11. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Now, as was the case with the first illustration, this second one can also be taken literally or figuratively. Life on earth, like the weather, can be harsh at times, can it not? Anyone who's lived past the age of, I don't know, 15, can give a hearty amen. Life at times can be harsh. And when life is harsh, there is nothing like the warmth of emotional comfort that comes from other people. Have you ever had your fingers freezing and someone gives you one of those little heat packs and you kind of break it and it gets hot and you just sort of put that and you're, oh my goodness, all this is just absolutely the best. Well, when life gets frigid and we experience the cold temperatures of the difficulties of life, there is nothing like the warmth of other people to surround you and love you and pray for you and be there for you. For example, I was in staff meeting recently and during the uh, celebration section of our staff meeting, uh, John Watson, who oversees creative arts, spoke up to brag on uh, Michelle, who in addition to overseeing small groups at our church, also oversees community care. And John was just bragging on her. And he was saying, you know, someone in our church just recently lost her mother. And Michelle has been showing love and support uh, and just has been showering uh, encouragement and support and love on this woman who's grieving. Michelle reached out with a phone call right away. She then contacted the staff member that this person serves under so that that staff member could reach out as well. Then she confirmed uh, a number of in-person visits to this person's home uh, with the people on her serving team and with people in her small group, which happened almost immediately. Then she ensured that the family had meals set up for the next few nights. And then she had flowers sent to the home to boot. Friends, that is the very definition of emotional warmth when life gets cold. And this is what Solomon's getting at. He's saying two are better than one because other people provide warmth, whether literally or figuratively, whether physically or emotionally. So friends, when life gets cold, you do not want to be alone. You need other people to provide warmth on the cold desert nights of life. Amen? Amen? Yeah. All right, here's the third illustration that Solomon gives to make his point. Two are better than one. First illustration, verse 10. Second illustration, verse 11. Here now is the third illustration from verse 12. Solomon writes that two are better than one because... Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. So here you got a picture of someone being attacked. And he says, though one may be overpowered by uh, another, by an attacker, two can withstand the attacker. And a threefold cord, if you got three people with you, oh, that's not quickly broken. The Big E just started on Friday, and any time the Big E rolls around, I have this memory from high school. Um, I went to the Big E and uh, wasn't looking for any trouble, but unfortunately trouble found me, and uh, some troublemakers from school came up to me and my friends, and uh, they were picking a fight, and just as things were heating up and escalating, and we were very close to throw it, trading blows, uh, a police officer noticed the ruckus and came over and broke things up. Now, my idiot friend who was with me didn't bother to tell me in the moment that the person right next to me had a knife 
right as we were about to begin fighting and he never told me. So I've always been forever thankful for that police officer who saw what was going on, was doing his job and broke things up. Now here's the deal. If someone's about to attack you like they were me at the Big E and you are all alone, it's your attacker and it's you. You and your attacker have more or less an equal chance to defeat each other, right? But here's the deal. If you have a friend with you, now it's two against one. And your chances of warding off that attack are exponentially increased. And oh my goodness, if you have two friends with you, now it's three against one. Now you have what Solomon calls a triple braided cord, which is not easily broken. What is Solomon saying? Simply put, there's strength in numbers. That's an adage that we use in our American culture. Many people don't even realize it comes straight from the text of the Bible. There's strength in numbers. Now, the reality is that we, as followers of Jesus, for those of us who are, we have a spiritual nemesis named Satan. And the apostle Peter says of Satan that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is what we call spiritual warfare. It's just a reference to the reality that we are believers. We believe in, in God who is unseen. Uh, there is a Satan who is unseen. And there are forces at work in the world that, that we don't see and that some people might not even be aware of, but they're there. And Satan, of course, is working to destroy the child of God. And that is why there's a need to be a part of the herd so that you don't end up being the isolated prey. I grew up watching the nature shows. I continue to watch them to this day. I absolutely love them. And my goodness, when a pack of wolves is going after a herd of caribou, they're always looking for one that's injured or isolated. And it's always the ones who are not together with the rest of the herd that end up becoming the wolves' lunch. And the same is true spiritually speaking. It's always the ones who are isolated. You know, they're not on a serving team. They're not connected. They're not in a small group. They're not connected. They're, they're just isolated. And then the promised troubles of this life come and they become spiritual roadkill, if you will. And what a grave misfortune, just like the situation that Solomon saw. And it's so grave and such a misfortune because it's something that is completely avoidable. It's a decision. It's a choice. So third, Solomon's third argument then, uh, third illustration, which is an argument, it's really simple. He's saying that there's strength in numbers and woe to the person who's all alone when an attack comes. Not if it comes, but when it comes. Woe to the person who's all alone. But oh, how fortunate is the person who has that triple braided cord. That person who has other people to have his back. Okay, that was a lot, so let me recap. Bringing this whole section of scripture together, it's really quite simple. Solomon witnessed the situation where a, a man in Israel was materially rich, but relationally poor. He saw how empty the man was, how dissatisfied he was with his life. And not wanting anyone else in the nation of Israel to end up where that man ended up, Solomon says, I want everybody to know that two 
are better than one. And then to drive his point home, he gives one illustration, and then a second illustration, and then a third illustration. But they all make the same point. Two are better than one. Now, this, in fact, is the exact opposite of what our culture teaches. Oh, it might not say it explicitly, but it absolutely teaches it implicitly. Our culture has been telling us for years that independence is where it's at. Our culture says, lean into work, make a lot of money, then you won't need anybody and you can be independent and then you'll be happy. So most Americans are so busy working that they have little to no time for relationships. The truth is, a lot of Americans view relationships as like optional. Yeah, hey, it's nice if you have it, but it's no big deal if you don't. You know, it's, honestly, relationships are kind of a distraction to me because I, I just want to be caught up in my work. And guess what? Relationships take time. So a lot of people view relationships as superfluous when in fact they are essential. Remember when COVID happened, they divided all the jobs into essential and non-essential? Well, let me tell you, relationships, they are essential, but our American culture has categorized them as non-essential. But as a result, depression among Americans has become endemic and the suicide rate continues to rise. And is it any wonder? Many, many studies are being done to find the answer to these problems. And I'll share just two of these studies with you. Robert D. Putnam, he wrote a book called Bowling Alone, which studies the negative effects of the breakdown of community in America. And here's what he found. People who are socially disconnected are between two and five times more likely to die from all causes compared with matched individuals who have close ties with family, friends, and the community. You want to increase your chances of dying early by five times? Well, go ahead and get isolated. Likewise, psychiatrist Robert Waldinger, who's the director of the Harvard Study of Adult Development, did a 75-year study on the effect of community in our lives. Apparently, he began the study when he was three, and then he just continued it his whole life. But a 75-year-long uh, study on the effects of community in our lives. And after 75 years, there was one major finding. Would you like to know what it is? He says, good relationships keep us happier and healthier. He says, society places, and this, uh, to my knowledge, this is not a Christian man. This is just someone doing a very, the longest study ever. And he says this, society places a lot of emphasis on wealth and leaning into our work. But over and over, he says, over these 75 years, our study has shown that the people who fared the best were the people who leaned into relationships with family, with friends, with community. Now, I, I say, wow, what a shame that the dude spent 75 years of his life and no doubt millions of dollars only to discover what the Bible's been saying for 3,000 years. Two are better than one. 
Friends, we don't know what the future holds because this is earth, not heaven. And as Jesus told us in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will. Does it say you might? No, it says you will have trouble. A, a lot of Christians, they get thrown for a real tailspin when trouble comes their way. As if because they're Christians, God has somehow promised that their life will be a bed of roses and, and nothing but peaches and cream. That is just not what the Bible teaches. The Bible literally teaches the opposite. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. So friends, obviously, we need a support system so that when the promised troubles of this life hit, we, we have that system in place. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, as I think about retirement, I don't want to begin saving at age 67. So when I was a young man in my very early 20s, I began putting money away for retirement. If you wait until you turn 67, unless you win the lottery or something, I mean, it's too late at that point. And in the same way, you don't wait until tragedy strikes and then say, now, let me go ahead and work on building my support system now that tragedy has struck. You build your support system in the good times so that when the inevitable difficulties and trials and, and troubles of this life hit, you have a support system in place. I used to run cross country, believe it or not. And they would say, hey, if you're thirsty, it's too late. You're already dehydrated by the time you're feeling thirsty. So you got to drink and drink and drink so that you never even feel thirsty. Because by the time you're thirsty, it's, it's already too late. You're already dehydrated. And it's hard for your body to catch back up. You need the support system in place ahead of time. Because if tragedy strikes and now you're trying to build it, man, it's just, it's just hard for everything to catch up. Now today, I want to share with you one practical next step that you can take to begin building that support system or to begin strengthening that support system. And it's not everything that could be done to build it. Today, I'm focusing on just one thing. But friends, it's this. It's signing up for one of our fall small semester small groups. And if you don't know how to do that, we've created a very short video to teach you how. Take a look. Grab your phone and open up the Church Center app. First, click the Groups icon at the bottom of the screen. Second, click the Find a Group button in the middle of the screen. Third, click the Filter icon in the top right-hand corner of your screen to find a group by type, location, demographics, group frequency, or by day of the week. We have about 40 groups to pick from, so there's something for everyone. Our groups tend to fill up fast, so I would implore you, don't wait to sign up. Sign up today. Now, if you need help with downloading the Church Center app or using it, you can stop by guest services out in the lobby, or you can stop by the donut table and get help from Michelle, who oversees groups here at New Day. And if you're attending online, you can just ask one of your hosts, how do I begin getting connected? And they'll be more than happy to help you out. Church, can I pray for you? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Let's pray.
You can pray along with me if you want. Heavenly Father, uh, you've called us as disciples of Jesus into community. You've called us to love one another and carry each other's burdens and serve one another in love and instruct one another and encourage one another and build each other up and pray for each other. And as we look to Scripture to see how these commands were fulfilled by the early church, we see that they were fulfilled in the context of small groups. So we today are choosing as a church to follow their good example. Father, I pray for each person here, however they're participating today. Uh, God, would you just impress on their hearts the need for and the value of Christian community. Help them to see that they need it themselves and that they need to be a part of helping to provide it for others. And I pray that as they step into community, that you would bless them tremendously. May they personally experience the joy and the comfort and the support and the love and, and the friendship and the encouragement that you've designed Christian community to bring. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Mike. What a powerful message on community and on groups. You know, people that reject a message like this, you know what they're thinking ultimately? They're thinking like, eh, all I need is me. I'm good. I'm good. I'll take care of me. And here's the problem. If you listened at all to the message today, you see the foolishness in that kind of a mindset. That is not how life works but you know that a lot of people walk around this earth and they think that's the same way, just like they're gonna do life. It's just all on me, all I need is me. They think that's how they're gonna earn their way to heaven as well. They believe in their heart that salvation is something that I can earn, I'll just be good enough, I'll clean up enough. At some point I'm gonna stop my partying sinful ways, I'm gonna get right and I'll make sure that God knows I'm at least good enough to tip the scales and make my way into heaven. But just like life will never work out if you have the mentality that all I need is me, myself, and I, salvation will never work out that way either. Salvation is not earned. You know what the Bible says? Salvation is a gift. It's freely given. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough for it. It is a gift given to you by God. Particularly, specifically, it's a gift that his son Jesus took care of on your behalf. The Bible teaches that Jesus died in your place for your sins. He died in my place for my sins. He died on a cross, on Calvary's hill. He bled, died, three days later, rose again. This is what we celebrate on Easter. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus says that because you can't earn your salvation, you can't work hard enough, don't worry, you can depend on me, Jesus would say. I have defeated death. I've defeated the grave. All you got to do is receive the gift. None of us like to be dependent on anything, but the reality is if you want to truly be saved, you must recognize I must be dependent on Christ alone. And if you've never made that decision today, you never knew that, you thought there was gonna be a way that you could earn it, I just wanna tell you in love, and I have great news for you, all you have to do is receive the gift. I hope you've been paying attention today. We've been on the give. We want to give. We want to be generous. Why are Christians wired that way? It's because we know we could never outgive the greatest gift of all called Jesus Christ. And if you've never received that gift today, this is your moment. Whether you're online, you're joining me in person, maybe you're out in the foyer, receive that gift. It's a decision of the heart. 
And if you make that decision today, here's all we want you to do. Find that welcome card. I referenced it after that first song today. Find it on the back of a seat near you. Let us know that you're accepting Christ as your Savior. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more, so be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.